Hello, and welcome to Unstuffing Our Story, with me, Catrice Horsley. On today's show, I'm interviewing Steve Killick. He's a clinical psychologist and storyteller who's had a long interest in exploring how stories can help in education and therapy, especially to help us understand how emotions work. In the conversation, he shares a couple of stories that have sustained him on his journey, and I'll be sharing those in the next episode in their full glory. But before you start to listen to our conversation, I really need to apologise for the quality of the recording. Something went terribly wrong with um, Anchor, uh, the software that I use. So you may have to play about with your um, audio settings a little bit to ensure that you can hear all of his wonderful wisdom. But enough of me prattling on. Let's now listen to Steve Killick start to unstuff his story. So welcome, Steve Killick. Um, I'm really looking forward to listening to your views and wisdom on stories, how stories shape us, and also on the work that you do in how they can enable children, particularly to understand how emotions work. Uh, hi, Catrice. I'm very well, thank you, on this this very cold morning in Cardiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and- delighted to be with you here today wonderful we have uh, about 30 centimeters of snow outside and it's that perfect fluffy snow that you can't make a snowman out of but it's delicious to walk through so we're both uh, talking from cold areas but hopefully creating warmth with our conversation I normally ask guests just to kick off by sharing their story, however they view their story or make sense of their story with us. So, Steve, what's your story? Okay, well, that's um, uh, that's a complicated question. I think that there's lots of stories going on in my life, but I think probably the one that's most relevant for this conversation um, is that... Uh, Somehow or another, uh, I, I've ended up working as a psychologist uh, and a psychotherapist, uh, and I also work as a storyteller, and I feel I've been lucky enough, fortunate, fortunate enough to uh, be able to um, connect and intertwine those, those two activities in a lot of work that I do. Um, so using storytelling in, in sort of education, therapy, uh, and just for the fun of it and the love of it. Mm. Uh, um, and I guess um, uh, that's my story. Mm. I love the fact that you do it also just for the fun of it and just for the love of it. Because so many of our previous guests talk so much about following some deep truth in yourself regarding what gives you joy uh, and what makes you feel alive and even if you can't make a living out of it then still follow it and still trust in that instinct so I love that you do it yes for work you do it yes as a psychotherapist as a psychologist but also you do it for love and for fun I'm, I'm really interested in the work that you do and I was wondering in that work, are there any stories that resurface from people about 
human nature about what it is to be human any motifs that come up time and time and time again um that's an interesting question i I suppose one of the things i um like about stories in in different ways are, are the fact that the stories are about people in trouble and dealing with it and somehow coming through it uh, in all sorts of different ways, either by um, some kind of act of kindness or consideration to others, or actually maybe being a bit more tricky or tricksy uh, and finding a way through it. I suppose stories that come up for me again and again are stories like Stone Soup. Mm. Um, and I love that story because I think it, it, it works in so many different ways with different ages. Uh, mm. But it's all about coming together and everybody's got a little bit of something to give, which creates something more. And just for the listeners who might not know Stone Soup, without obviously telling the whole story, just share with people essentially the kind of skeleton of that story. Sure. Okay. well, that's about a traveller who comes to a town, uh, often quite a a war-torn town where people are disconnected. Uh, uh, and, and so on. Uh, and he asked for a meal, but um, there's nothing to be had. So um, he decides to make some stone soup. He just asks for a pot, puts a stone in the water, and eventually people start coming up. They're curious about how you can make a um, soup out of a stone, and each offers one ingredient. And uh, a soup is made, and people come together, they eat it. They share, they share the food, they share the stories, uh, and so on. Mm. That's the story in a nutshell. Uh, I love the word that you use there, which I, I feel certainly in my work as a storyteller and a user of story is vital, and that's the word curious. I'm wondering whether you'd want to expand on that a little bit more with regards to what stories can provide linked into curiosity? That's a, that's <laughs> a great question. Um, uh, uh, um, first of all, when I think about that, I just kind of think of all the, you know, don't open the door, don't open the box, don't do that. Mm. Stories. And of course, we've got to do it because we're curious animals. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of the work that I do, I mean, and we were... Uh, you know, talking a little bit earlier about um, this idea of just doing stories for the fun mm. of it. Um, one of the things uh, I often use is is telling stories um, to begin with, and seeing how people respond to it, and uh, being curious about how they respond to it. Mm. So I have to let go of my agenda of what I think the story is about and what I want to do with it. And see how, and, and get curious and interested about how people are responding to it. Mm. Uh, mm. I think it's one of the incredibly wonderful things about using stories is we, we all hear the same words, but we all experience the story in a different way based on our internal landscapes. And so one can't really hammer home, hammer home one's own point as a storyteller because that's only your interpretation of that story. And if you, even if you only have five listeners, they will all have their own interpretation of that. So you have to kind of 
get rid of the ego a little bit, I think, when sharing stories and working with them. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that's right. Because I think, you know, we see ourselves in the stories. And I know, you know, there's some stories I'm attracted to and some stories not. Mm. Uh, and that's because I think we kind of, you know, we can only see ourselves in the story because uh, a story is just a, a stimulus, um, a, a very rich uh, and wonderful stimulus. But we have to kind of fill it in and find the patterns that exist mm, for us, mm, uh, mm. those patterns, you know, when we can only see our patterns. Mm. And of course, it's going to be universal, but what really matters to us is going to be um, uh, what's most personal. Yeah. You know, one of my favourite quotes, and I'll, I'll see what you think about this, is uh, by Brené Brown. I do quite like Brené Brown. Oh. Yes. And she says that you can't fully inhabit the story of somebody else unless you have deconstructed your own. What would you say about that? Yeah, well, that's, um, uh, that's, that's a really interesting one. And, and yes, on, on it, I think that's right. We, we've got to know our experience. We've got to know ourselves a little. Um, before we can make sense of somebody else's. And so, I mean, there's lots of ways I might respond to that. I mean, because part of what I'm trying to do with stories, it's not like, all right, here's a special story that's going to change you. But if we get lots and lots of stories, we start to um, get more of a vocabulary for our own inner experience. Mm. I think stories natural way we learn about what it is to be human mm. uh, getting lots of different stories so um, in some senses that you know so I'm very interested in attachment theory um, uh, how we um, learn to make sense of ourselves how we need to do that through relationships and significant relationships and actually what happens in that relationship, we tell each other stories and we listen to each mm. other's stories mm. as well. And that's the natural way of learning about feelings and so on. There's another bit, I mean, one thing, I mean, I think we have multiple um, uh, stories about ourselves. Mm. My favorite definition of the self um, is this idea of that, uh, what is the self but ever an ever-changing set of stories. Mm. I want to go back to just at the start of that. You were talking about vocabulary, giving us a vocabulary. Um, and, and stories provide that. Uh, and some of the work that you do is about that. And I know that you do quite a lot of work with children in enabling them to understand how emotions work. And obviously that is very much linked into a vocabulary because there is a big difference between I feel sad I feel lonely, I feel unworthy, but quite often with people, and especially younger children, they might not have that nuance in their vocabulary to describe certain feelings. And I'm wondering how you use story in those situations. Um, well, there's, there's a number of ways. I mean, one, um, uh, at its most basic level, um, and one project uh, in, in terms of working with foster carers, it's often saying, 
tell stories because what stories do start telling you about those feelings. You know, we, we can't learn uh, about what feelings are by one-off experiences. We need lots and lots of experiences mm. and we need to see. So stories give you this, um, uh, I mean, what's what's sometimes called a simulcrum. Oh, what's so, that word? That's a word used by a guy called Keith Oatley, who's um, a psychologist and a, um, an author, the author of fiction. Mm. Uh, and he wrote a lot about the appeal of stories. I'm very influenced by his work. And he said, what a story is, um, um, is, is a simulacrum, which means it, it is a, a simulation of reality. Mm, yeah. Uh, so when I tell you a story about a, you know, a, um, a couple who lived a long, long time ago in a land far, far away, and they lost a child, we have that sense of learning about loss, mm. uh, mm -hmm. sadness, the reaction of it. But it's very distant. It, so it, it's a simulation of reality. And I can start learning about all these, uh, these emotions. Or children start learning about these emotions by hearing them in stories. They can think about them in that way without actually having to deal with the, um, the reality of it. Yeah. Uh, in the first instance. Now, of course, some of them do and so on. But, you know, so in some way, by learning through... through uh, about emotions in this way, we have a sense. Um, there's a great quote um, by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah. So he says, you know, um, if we don't know about dark things, how can we be able to deal with dark things when they show yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, that's a good quote. That's a very good quote. Um, and I, as you were talking there, you were talking about stories providing different experiences for us um so if we immerse ourselves in all of these stories somehow we have a a better chance of shaping our outline and identity based on what we fit with what we don't fit with what we understand what we don't understand yeah i'd say that's absolutely right what what stories offer us, I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about uh, a vocabulary for our inner landscape, uh, mm. inner landscape, which actually may be words, images, or, 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 or so on. Um, and it also offers us choices and ideas and possible solutions. Mm. So, Steve, in your work, uh, and quite often I ask this question to guests about themselves personally, but I think because you're using story and you have access to perhaps narratives that appear in society, in groups, in organisations, I'm wondering, could you identify any threats that you see coming up, patterns that recur again, threats that recur again and again, and also what kind of gifts you feel that we need at the moment in this current climate. So are there any threats that you see recurring again and again? And are there any gifts that you kind of feel we would benefit from? Um, well, uh, I, I suppose if you ask me that question, um, two immediate threats, which are sort of quite global threats to... Um, our peace and our ability to live on this earth. Uh, uh, I'm 
firstly that he, he seemed to have become uh, very slick. We, we, there seems to be two groups now that seem to exist in this world, and there seems to be a possible battle. I, I think what we're doing to the climate. Uh, and right. So on. Now, yeah. there's lots of causes to those particular problems, uh, and so it's uh, suggesting solutions uh, are not part of that, but I think um, uh, what I, I guess I feel when I kind of think about those things and start worrying about them or getting angry about them is realizing I don't know the complete answer. Um, mm. It's about opening up to uncertainty uh, and being willing to change. Mm. Mm. So that's something to do with sitting with uncertainty and, and knowing that that's okay. Yeah, and, but also with that connecting with other people, because the solutions have got to be about how we work together, how we live together, how we listen to each other, how we look after each other, how we make some really difficult decisions. Mm. So things up. Mm, those are those are very big things. And I think one of the things um, and one of the features I don't even think it's the present time. I think it's any time. Is us knowing that the there are these vast things, but how can we, in our small worlds, our small, and they're not small lives, but our restricted lives, is there a daily thing that we could do? Well, I th one one thing I try and do is take some time during the day, um, just to pause, to meditate, and particularly just to reflect on, on uh, appreciation mm. and things to be grateful for. Mm. So I think often in my mind, and I think it's, it's quite a human thing, we want things to be different, we want them to be better, um, and we kind of um, get caught up in that state of wanting rather than just thinking um, how much we already have. Mm. Uh, 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 and to I'm wondering, there, I mean, there's so much that I could talk to you about with regards to childhood and child development and how important story is and the chemical, brain chemicals that are released when you listen to stories. Um, yeah, there's, there's a huge amount there. But time and time again with a lot of the guests that I have is this idea about often they feel they are living in a story that is narrated by somebody else that they have no agency over. Um, so as an example, like I was brought up on a, a council estate in the north of Birmingham and I was told stories about myself by my teachers and by um, some of the adults in my life with regards to I was speech impaired as a child and I the teachers told me I was educationally subnormal because I couldn't speak I couldn't challenge it and I'm wondering for you how how can we challenge the stories that others tell us about ourselves if we believe they're not true well I, I think probably um, a lot of my work in working with people 
often is helping them to realize that the things we see as true are actually just stories. Oh, I love you for saying that. I'm sending you a virtual hug. <laughs> Thank you. I'm back. Um, yeah, well, I think that it is so true. You know, uh, everything that we start putting in words are kind of stories, really. And I think our mind is a great storyteller. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we live in a society, that's right, we, we grow up and we have stories told about us, about who we are, what our identity is, um, uh, and so on. And the thing is, these stories can end up being very limiting. Mm. Mm. Um, and also, I don't know if we can not um, not have them, so to speak. You know, we, we always have these stories. And the question I get, uh, that I often ask myself, um, which I think is, is a key one, um, because it, it depends, you know, it's how I think about myself and how also in the work I do. You know, how do we get a better story? What does a better story look like? Or actually, do we just need to know? You know, it's all stories. Mm. Uh, and we can choose the stories because as life changes, we need to change our story. Totally. Absolutely, totally agree. Uh, and so much of the work that I'm doing when I use stories to do with personal narratives, cultural narratives, and then traditional narratives. So it's the, the holy triptych of tales. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And that's very interesting uh, what you were saying about yourself, mm. Patrice. You know, for someone maybe struggling to find words as a child for some reason, now uh, you're really using them in all those stories. Absolutely. Uh, and so I get interested in, well, how did that happen? What happened? Did you almost, was that having that difficult story, did that help turn things around? Was it actually part of the story that's actually made you who you are? I, I don't know, but I just think those, those are the sort of interesting questions. Do you know, I, I think I remember talking to somebody who was the director of an international aid agency that's very focused on children. And they had suffered a pretty horrific childhood. And they were very open about that. And they said, it's not rocket science that I went from that into becoming a person who protects children. And I think it's not rocket science that I went from a person who had no voice to becoming a person who is really passionate about enabling others to find theirs. It, it's almost that's how it has to be uh, absolutely I, yeah and i think that's how we find meaning and purpose in our lives mm. you know and the things that that strike uh strike us forward and i think that now um the, there's a a lot of interest in in sort of how we grow from difficulties mm. Mm. Uh, um uh, that as long as we can manage the difficulties, I mean, if people have got too much, they're burdened with too yeah. much. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know whether you've seen, and I'd love the listeners to watch it, there's a brilliant TEDx talk. And it's all to do with um, how our systems, our stress systems, go from adaptive to maladaptive as children when we are 
constantly immersed in stress because some, you know, small amount of stress is good for us. But if there's a tsunami of toxic stress, then it goes from adaptive to maladaptive. And it's a really, really brilliant TED Talk. I might put a link on the page with that as well as all of your stuff as well. A little bit intrigued there. We, we've talked quite a bit about your work. You as an individual, as a human being, what, what stories, you mentioned the stone suit, but what stories have sustained you in your life? What ones do you keep on going back to? I, I think, well, probably the personal story that I have about myself is that I can try things out. Mm, nice. And, and can do things. And, and, and as I get a lot older, that story becomes more important because I can always reinvent myself. I mean, I think um, my uh, sort of school experience wasn't a great experience for me. I didn't leave it... Um, academically successfully or um, or feeling particularly confident about myself. It wasn't until I was a little bit older that I, I, I suddenly realised there were loads of things mm. that I could do um, and, and I maybe couldn't do them very well, but I could yeah. do them. Uh, and that, um, that has opened a lot of doors for me that I've been just prepared to try things out. Um, a traditional story that's always been with me um, is the story of the farmer and his horse, an old Chinese story of a, uh, a farmer who has a horse that runs away and all the horse comes back and all his friends say, that's wonderful, and says, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And so it goes on. Whatever happens, um, you know, it's kind of, oh, that's a good thing, mm. or no, it isn't. Uh, or that's a bad thing. Well, maybe yeah. no, it isn't. That, that can turn yeah. into mm. a good thing. And, and that, for me, is a profound story of uh, impermanence, of that things are always changing, and things are not always what they seem. And that story gets me through difficult times. I love that. Perhaps that might be a story that I use um, later on, and I refer back to you as that being a story that gets you through difficult times. I think your pers the, the personal story that you carry, the idea that you can try anything, is so liberating. It's such a liberating thing to be able to get older and still go, yeah, I I'm, I'm going to, I mean, I'm supposed to be learning to ice skate, cross-country ski and learning Swedish all in my 50s. Um, it's quite a lot. I'm not brilliant at any of them. The Swedish is pretty good now. But it, it, is, it is liberating. This idea that there is a continual growth that can occur through one's life. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's a story I'm working on at the moment, which is just about a, a sort of opportunity which just suddenly appears in front of this guy and he's got to go mm. and take it. Um, and I actually like um, this idea that, you know, anything could happen yeah. at any moment. You know, some, something wonderful could just happen today because uh, we spend so much time thinking, oh, my God, you know, all, all the terrible things that could happen and how we've got to avoid them. But uh, wonderful things yeah. happen as well. And we've got to notice it. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that's it. And I like to think, well, there might be some incredible things that are still yet to happen to me. That, Steve? Uh, no a wonderful thing that are. happened to me is my daughter left her camera on the check-in desk at Heathrow Terminal 5. 
And there was a man behind us in the queue who gave it to us. And he's now my husband. From that, from my daughter forgetting a camera at a check-in desk at Heathrow Terminal 5, I end up in Sweden, married to a lovely, lovely man. Anything can happen. Here go your quick-fire questions. I love them. Okay, I absolutely love these questions. Okay. (laughs) Are you ready for your first one? The first... (laughs) There's no pressure. There's so much pressure. There's no pressure. It depends on how you look at it. (laughs) So, first question in the quick-fire round. What was your favourite story as a child? Favourite story as a child? Good God. Um, You know, I think it would have to be Winnie the Pooh. Oh, bless. Oh, yeah. Which character would you be? I I always felt a certain sympathy uh, for... um, uh, Piglet, actually. Um, but yeah. Just thinking of that story reminds me of my mum. Who, oh, bless. Mm. Somebody once said to me that I'd be a picker, a little bit of Piglet and a little bit of Tigger, which I quite liked. Yeah. <laughs> so the next, um, the next question isn't really a question in the quick fire rounds. It is, I want you to finish this sentence. So creating our own lived stories requires the ability to stop, pause, think, and then go. Mm. Stop, pause, think, and go. I paused there so people could do it. Did you see what I did there? It's a pause. (laughs) Thank you. Next question. What what sustains you right now, Steve? Sorry, um, what's keeping you going? Uh, uh, what's sustaining me? Yeah. Um, actually, I, it is a lot to do with my um, work uh, and also my family uh, really keep me going. I couldn't do much without them. It's it's um, uh, I've been very lucky in lockdown to have my daughter staying here uh, and mm. my partner Sarah. Um, uh, yeah, without them, nothing happens. And then there's stories. Stories always keep me going, I think. Mm. Mm. Um, next question. What movies or books or series, documentaries would you recommend to listeners at the moment that you've seen? And I mean, it could just be that it was a great laugh or it could be that it made you think of something in a different way or inspired you. So movies, books, series, documentaries. Um, Well, I've just finished the second series of Fargo. Um, Oh, yes. And I just loved it. I just loved it. That I thought it was a fantastic piece of storytelling, um, and actually uh, uh, embedded that in that was the um, the myth of Sisyphus uh, mm. pushing the boulder up the hill. Uh, and I mm. got into reading a little bit about that, both uh, you know, having a look at Camus' philosophical essay, going back to the old Greek myth, mm. uh, and there's something about which I never picked up before. 
it's you know that's the way it is we're forever pushing the boulder up the hill but can we be okay about that mm. that's what it is mm. 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 i i remember reading something about uh bereavement about death and that actually the loss never changes but you become stronger at bearing it uh, you become more adept at bearing that loss. Um, and I, I liked that analogy because sometimes you think if I if I forget them, then they're diminishing, but they never diminish. Your love for them is still there. Uh, you just get much better and more adept at, at carrying that. So that's a bit of a Sisyphus reference there as well, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that also makes me think, you know, when we lose someone, you know, uh, often I think, you know, we, we can still have a relationship with that person. It's a different mm. kind of relationship, mm. but not necessarily the end of the relationship. Yeah, I think that as well when sometimes relationships with parents or whatever go awry um, or with siblings. And I think the per what's happened now, the relationship that you might have now with your brother or your sister or your father doesn't negate the fact that at some point when you were little, they loved you. That love was a true love. Even in divorces, uh, acrimonious breakups, it doesn't negate the fact that there was a truth at the beginning that was a truth. And I always find that very interesting, that people go, oh, they must have always hated me. And I think, mm, mm, no, what's happened now doesn't negate that truth of the love that they had. But it's hard for us to carry both of those thoughts together that they loved me and they don't now or it's changed. That's a hard thing. It's easier to think they always hated me because we, we like things in black and white and life is rather more messy than that, I think. Absolutely. Mm. So the last one is, what is the most important story we should be carrying right now? Oh, wow. Wow. If I knew that... <laughs> <laughs> The most important story. Um, oh, now I, I'm just. It it has to be something about keeping going. I really like, um, you know, the um, the stories of just keeping going. I must admit, I'm a, I, I'm immersed in the Odyssey at the mm, moment. Mm. I also think is. Is a wonderful story, and I think Odysseus is not uh, a good man or a bad man. No, he's just human. He gets things wrong, and he gets some things right. Yeah, but he keeps going. Yeah, till he gets home. Mm. Mm. Uh, I think there's something about that. Yeah. I, I love um, I love the idea that, that we all have those flaws and the hero can never fully be the hero unless he becomes aware of the depths of his being, what he could do, what he can do, that he can kill somebody. Unless he's aware of that, he can't take control of it and he can't continue. So we have to be aware of all of those shadow areas in order to become the heroes we're destined to be somehow. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. We're, we're all darkness. And yeah, yeah. Um, and we have to know the darkness to find them. Yeah, 
I know those always sound like cliches, but I think they're so true. They're so true that you have to recognize that you're capable of those things in order to realize that you're capable of the opposite as well. So, yeah, it has been a joy talking to you, Steve Killick. I know we've had some technical issues, but you were well worth all the effort and the challenge. And we both had to show a certain amount of tenacity (laughs) and persistence in actually getting this together. I want to thank you so much. And I really feel that the people who listen uh, to this episode will find great succor. It's one of my favorite words, succor in it. And they'll be able to carry away not just uh, something that makes them feel more replenished, but perhaps some little ideas for what they can do within their day to help them continue as Theseus did on that journey into becoming who they are going to become. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you, Patricia. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You are welcome. Have the best of days, sir. that's it the end of the interview and I hope you enjoyed that episode just to let you know that Steve has um, written a number of books and papers including telling tales storytelling is emotional literacy with Taffy Thomas and building relationships through storytelling he's also recently published feelings are funny things a storytelling toolkit and that's along with still Phil Equady and I'll put links to all of that on on our Instagram page of the same name, Unstuffing Our Story. So please click on the Instagram page and follow us there. And also please subscribe to the podcast and leave me some questions or comments. That would be absolutely wonderful. Um, the next episode is just going to be me and I'll be sharing those two stories that Steve mentioned in the interview. And again, trying to pull up and weave together some meaning for us in our present day from stories from long ago. So I hope that you will join me uh, in two weeks time as we continue with the process of unstuffing our story. Bye bye for now.